Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Hulkcast, where today we will turn our attention towards Aston Villa's upcoming home fixture against the Premier League sparring partner Norwich City. And obviously, sparring partner, it seems like every time they come up, they seem to just get punched straight back down. Um, Now, if this is the point where you normally switch off because you don't fancy listening to my husky voice host for too long, then there'll be no need as the Hulkcast regulars are here in Cole and Simon to fill the void of Norwich City fans not wanting to talk about their disastrous campaign to date. So without further ado, let's move on. Cole, how does it feel to finally not be hosting for once? Um, I- I'm doing very well. Thank you very much, first and foremost. Um, second of all, it feels very strange. I haven't been a uh, co-host since 2019. So um, I'm actually a little nervous right now and a little sweaty because of that. So uh, TMI, but anyways, I'm good. If, if anything, I should be the sweaty one in this position. I've got to make sure I, I get it right. Um, yeah, and obviously, as mentioned before, normally my punching bag, as I mentioned for Norwich City, it's, it's Simon. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah, it's a very proud father moment watching my son host this tonight. So, <laughs> <laughs> so keep up the good work, lads. <laughs> um, right, this should be a lot easier because normally I'm I'm having to listen to opposition fans bang on about how well they're doing and how easily they think I'll beat us. But obviously, we're not going to be able to cover Norwich into too much depth because none of us are really diehard Norwich fans. So this will be mainly a Villa-based preview with a with a hint of of City in it. So let's let's start off by looking at the league positions. We've got Villa obviously in fifteenth on thirty-seven points, and Norwich sat rock bottom in twentieth on just twenty-one points, having played an extra game. Norwich are currently without a win in their last six away games, whilst Villa are without scoring in open play in four. Cole, how do you see this one playing out in general? Well, you never know. It could be another nil-nil now that we're kind of amping it up to be that. Um, Please don't say that. uh, Well, it can only go up, hopefully, from here from last Saturday. But in all seriousness, I mean, our record against Norwich in the Premier League as of the last few seasons, it feels like, um, has been pretty positive. And I mean, with them being on 21 points, they'd basically have to win outright. I think that would only give them 36 points if so. So, I mean, it's all to fight for for them with very slim margins. Burnley would only need, I think, five points in that case to really secure safety, which, I mean, they probably will be at this point since we have to play them twice still. Very scared for that. But um, I don't know. From a Villa standpoint, you do have to sit back and kind of think, where does Gerard go from here? We had a lot of frustrations over Ollie Watkins on the weekend and the attack and just kind of the whole passing game from Villa in general. So it's going to be a kind of a, a massive concern in that regards to see what Villa 
um, really appear. And the one thing for me, and I mean, God forbid we do go one nil down, which seems to be a massive fashion for as long as I can remember being a Villa fan. I would just like to see how we respond um, from a difficult situation with the side and how fragile it is right now. But um, you know what? We'll have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned briefly our record against Norwich. I think I had a look and we've ended up winning four on the bounce versus Norwich in the Premier League. Obviously, we both had sprinkles in the championship in that time where our record wasn't as good against them. But in the Premier League, we've won one this season, two in 2019 when we last played against them and then one in 2016 where we got relegated. Um, Simon, if you look towards the fixture this weekend, obviously, both teams currently not having the best of times. What, how do you see the match playing out in general? Um, I, I think that we're going to batter them. And the reason I think that is because I'm not there. <laughs> and the two games that I've missed this season, my brother's taken his, uh, his daughter to them. And that was the 3-0 win against Everton and the 4-0 win against Southampton. So... Judging by that record, uh, probably we five. Want five. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, like it, even my old joke aside, I, I do think that we will co- win comfortably p- purely because uh, Norwich are just so bad. Uh, they're defensively, they are so bad. And you kind of see that we've been um, inconsistent, to pull it kindly, I'd say this season. But if, if you think that Tottenham game, we could have put three or four past them in the first half. Even the Leicester from the brief highlights, we, we had a couple of decent chances. And you kind of think at some stage, surely they're not going to be so toothless in front of goal. You think eventually it's going to click and we'll, you know, we'll be clinical in front of goal. And I, I, I just think that I've just got no faith that Norwich will really do anything. I mean, I'm setting us up for a massive disappointment here, but I. We we will create plenty of chances, and I think if the key is trying to is getting that first goal, if we can get one early as well. Obviously, the longer it goes on, the more frustration I think will build from the crowds. Already, there seems to be the hints of frustration at the moment, which I think it's had unnecessary and unfair at the moment myself. But I think if we we could take a lead within the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes, yeah, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we ended up putting three or four past them. I mean, I'll tell you what, that's quite refreshing, isn't it? It feels a while since we've had some positivity to talk about. So, um, yeah, I mean, I tried to talk about the game in general, beating around the bush of the the elephant in the room, really. But I think I think we better cover it and get it out of the way. Dean Smith, obviously previous Villa manager, he managed 138 games for Villa, 56 wins, 27 draws, 55 losses, taking us to a competitive cup final and also promoting us from the championship. It will be his first time back at Villa Park since being sacked. Um, I think it would be quite nice for him to almost have a bit of a a reunion, if you like. I mean, obviously, he won't see it that way because he isn't in the best of circumstances at the moment. Cole, when you first saw that he was appointed as Norwich manager, obviously, he's he's actually lasted over a thousand days in his last three management jobs, which is incredibly, you know, it's not been done by many, many managers at all. So, you know, the the rate of football at the moment and the way it's going, is he the perfect fit for Norwich City? Well, I mean, you do sit back and look at his line of work. I mean, it really says it all. And I mean, I, I don't think he would have taken that job 
without expecting for probably at least a 60 40 split kind of um, maybe perspective of knowing, or maybe it was 70 30, to be honest, because Norwich have been pretty bad all season. I think it's fair to say, and I'm sure their fans will admit it as well, but they're going to be competitive next season in the championship um, when they do go down. Let's be realistic at this point in time. Um, They always kind of seem to kind of bounce right back up. They're almost like that vintage, like a West Brom yo-yo side really. Um, and have really kind of snabbed that or nabbed that to title per se. But I mean, really, when you look at Dean Smith and then you look at what he means to Villa fans in particular, I mean, it, it's going to be a very, I, I don't know. I felt like the Car- the Carroll Road game was very weird. It almost felt like I was in a parallel universe watching it. And for some reason, the wrong manager was in the wrong dugout. And maybe it was that kind of away feeling of, I guess watching it from definitely afar where I, I sat back and thought, you know what, this is just a win. I was a little nervous, but we basically took the lead rather quickly and didn't really look back. And it was a, a settled win. And then going into this one, I don't know, like facing former managers in the past, I look at the likes of Steve Bruce, where I wanted to beat him so damn bad. And maybe you can go back even further, but with this one, it's, uh, it's very, it's very emotional. Like, you, you've the the journey, the ten games, the ten game of beaten run, um, promotion, a cup final, survival on the final day. I mean, the highs of last season when no one could be there. Um, it, it's going to be very, very weird. And I I know, like, we'll get onto it in a little bit. And there's a lot of criticism from certain parts of the fan base about banners and stuff, and even applauding them. I mean. It's uh, it's gonna be a weird one, and we'll get onto that. I don't want to ruin it because I feel like I'm almost taking over the hosting thing. I'm so used to that, so I'll, I'll shut up now. <laughs> no, that's all right. Take some of the pressure off me, I suppose. Um, I mean, if you're a neutral listening to this, you're you probably wouldn't be mistaken if you're thinking, well, a manager who's spent nearly a hundred million in three years and had his club sitting just a few points above the relegation zone. I wonder why they're so emotionally invested. And, you know, you probably wouldn't be blamed for thinking that. But I think the difference with Dino, Dino? With with Dino, obviously moving past the obvious of him being a Villa fan, is that he managed to do something that I haven't seen in a manager of Aston Villa Football Club since I started supporting the club. Granted that, you know, that wasn't very long ago compared to maybe Simon, but he managed to gain a relationship with the fans. And I think that was absolutely vital. I mean, obviously, you know, he achieved success on the pitch and that's always going to help as well. But when you have that connection after what felt like so many years of disconnect for Villa fans, within their club he for a lot of fans he he brought the beating of Aston Villa back I mean Simon let's spin this round to you obviously a season ticket holder for quite a while there's many to choose but do you have a favorite memory under Dean Smith oh god um it's probably I mean the highs of last season were great like Cole mentioned but like you also mentioned there the fact that you weren't there is sort of difficult to really pick one from that. I mean, the obvious one you'd say would be the 7-2 against Liverpool, which is obviously great, but you're not there, so you don't quite feel as strong. I, I think 
Probably, I mean, you, you'd struggle to look past that playoff final against Derby. That that was pretty special. Um, kind of throughout that whole ten match winning run, the the semi final against West Brom, especially the first leg at the Park, coming back uh, from one 0 down to win two one. Just all of I think you'd have to bundle that promotion campaign together in sort of one and like culminating with that final at Wembley. You'd have to say is that. I mean, like you said, it, it, it united the fan base and sort of it made it fun going back to Villa again. You, you kind of, you sort of touched upon there that in sort of your, well, I'd say for both of you two, in your lifetime supporting Villa, that was probably the first manager that you sort of had that feeling at, which I can understand. I mean, for, from my point of view, I look back to uh, sort of John Gregory days, um, a long time ago now and, and there was a real feel-good factor there. We were a really good team then. And then like even Martin O'Neill, regardless of my thoughts on him now, sort of post-Villa, but in that sort of three-year period when we finished sixth in a row, that was the last time up until Smith came where you enjoyed going to Villa Park and it felt like everyone, the players, the sort of coaching staff and the fans were all together. You know, the, the 10 years from that, you look at some of the managers like Julier, Bacleach, Lambert, Di Matteo. It was just it. No, no one was ever happy. But there was always a section of the fan base that was unhappy with with every single one of those appointments. Whereas I think when Smith was appointed, I think it was pretty unanimous amongst the Villa fan base that this is the right decision. And it's easy to get caught up in the fact that he's a Villa fan, which you know you can't get away from the fact that did help as well. That that definitely had the positive effects. But I think. He'd shown that he was a, a more than capable manager at that level. And to get us promoted from the position we were in at one stage, I mean, I believe, I think with about 10 or 11 games to go in that championship season, we were about 11 points off the playoffs. And so to, to get us up and then actually to keep us up, you, you sort of touch upon the money spent, which I think is kind of a bit of a red herring really to, to sort of just look at it as you know 100 million 200 million 300 million whatever you kind of you have to look at the context of we had to build a squad that was just capable of surviving in in that first Premier League year back where you're trying to play catch up on teams that have had three years of spending Premier League money that we didn't have to spend whilst we were in the Championship so kind of Getting us promoted was obviously amazing, but really, looking back, you think keeping that team up, especially the position we were in when sort of lockdown first came in, I think everyone thought we're done. And even with four games to go and you're seven points adrift, how how he managed to sort of galvanise and keep us up that season. I'll, um, I'll always be very, very grateful for Dean Smith being part of getting us back to a competitive Premier League team now, and I'm I'm really good. I'm not going to be on Saturday. Like I've this, I'm, I'm away for the weekend. That weekend's been penciled in for since before the fixture this came out. And when I saw the fixtures come out and saw we were home tonight that weekend, then obviously when Smith took the job, I was just like, oh no, I'm not going to get to say goodbye to Dino. But um, yeah, no, he he deserves nothing but respect in my eyes from Villa fans. I mean, yeah, I've said it all along, really that the 10 game winning run and just how everything unfolded 
just seems like it was meant to be for me. I mean, there was there was one point in the season, I can't remember who or what fixture it was, but there was a point in the season where I turned around to my dad at Villa Park and he was like, any hopes for this season? And I think I remember saying, end it now, restart, get Dino in for the full season and we can push for promotion next year because it just looked like it was petering out and then suddenly from nowhere... You know, Stoke half-time, a lot of players on various podcasts have mentioned it. Dino sprinkled a bit of his magic dust and and from then it, it was like a fairy tale. I was the two the two legs against West Brom, I think it probably made it more nervy. I, I seem to remember the first leg against West Brom was so tentative within the ground, probably because of what we'd been through the previous season of knowing how heartbreaking it can be. In going 1-0 down to the Dwight Gale, just the mistake and how everything happened. You know, when when Hurahan scored, I'm I'm not going to be scared to admit this, but it was a little teary for me. I, I did get a little teary in just how everything played out in the rest of the game. And I was watching back the second leg, actually, and if it wasn't written in the stars before, then it had to be after that because we got absolutely pummeled by West Brom in that second leg. How we managed to get through that and get up in the end, just unbelievable. The next question is going to be to both of you. So I want you to answer this one after the other. And I think it will be quite a difficult one to answer. So I'm I'm not afraid to spend quite a while on this one. Obviously, Dino, our manager before, Steven Gerrard, our manager now. If you could compare the two with positives and negatives, what has Gerrard brought to Villa that Dean Smith didn't? And how would you compare the two thus far, starting with you, Cole? Oh, you threw me under the bus on that one. Um, I mean... Now you know how it feels. Yeah, literally. Karma does come back eventually. Um, My biggest kind of issue with Gerrard is I don't still know what his style of play is. So... I'm going to be a little bit biased here. And as I am the editor of this podcast, I, I'm going to kind of skip around that part because I mean, I, I know everyone kind of goes on about, and I don't want to rant on about it for ages that this isn't his set of players and all that kind of stuff. So it, for me, it's really hard to say, well, I love Dino style play more than Gerard's because of course at the start of Gerard's reign, it was brilliant and we were free flowing and, I don't know what we've been for the last few months, to say the least. And with Dino, I mean, you look at the 10 game and beat run in the championship. And I mean, you can win the championship in a million different ways or games in the championship, I should say. Um, I I know there's been a lot of gripes in the past about him being not so adaptable in certain things. I think the one thing that every fan would do and or probably say and I mean, it feels like it's probably every manager because every fan sitting, whether you're at the ground or you're in front of your TV, um, thinks they're a, a, the tactical mastermind when it comes to timing substitutions. But that's probably the biggest similarity, I would say, is probably really late substitutions when it's probably a little bit too late. Um, aside from that, really, I mean, I do love Gerard's kind of no BS approach. He's very honest. He's very passionate, very emotional, maybe sometimes too emotional in some circumstances. The one thing I did like about uh, Dino is how he would protect his players. But again, then I guess the other kind of avenue of that is maybe he was almost too protective um, when he probably didn't need to be, especially in the media, not to throw them under the bus per se, but maybe it was just almost 
I get the throwing kind of an arm over someone to show support, but at times it was a little frustrating because it seemed they like they needed a rocket up the backside. But um, I, I guess that's how I would kind of summarize both of them. I mean, in one season, they both almost had five game losing streaks. So that <laughs> that's one similarity that almost happened. That's not very good. Um, but I, I think the one thing that kind of unifies them both is they both have that passion that we're looking for. Dino in the sense that he's a Villa fan um, and leading his boyhood club and the emotions with that. And Gerard just being a pure leader throughout his career. And he's carried that into his managerial style and his ethos and his beliefs and his values as well. So I, I guess you could tie it up there. I, I hope I answered the question, but anyways. <laughs> yeah. To sort of follow on from that. I, I, I agree with the initial point that it's it's difficult to make like a proper assessment of Gerard Jett just because he hasn't even had the full season. I, th- I think you'd probably be easy to answer that question probably around Christmas time next year. But if you're looking at just like little things, I think there's no doubt that the improvements in Jacob Ramsey, I, I mean, that's clear to see. Now you can argue that he, that would have happened anyway, but I think I think I heard something that I think he's maybe started 18 or 19 of the last games in a row, whereas I'm not necessarily sure if he would have started as much if Smith was still in charge. Now, I mean, I could be completely wrong with that, but I get the feeling that I think Gerrard's very quickly sort of took a shine to him and could see the potential there. So I think you've got to credit him with that. And to be fair as well, I think you've got to... Um, I think you could probably say that Matty Cash has, has really improved. Now, I was always a fan of Cash. Anyway, I thought he had a really decent season last year. But certainly since the turn of the year, I think I think he maybe gave an interview on the website saying how he wanted to add more goals and assists to his game and that he'd been working on that. And, and that's clear to see. And I, I, think, I think that is part, part of the way that Gerard will want us to play. I mean, you you saw from his Rangers team that he likes fullbacks to be high um, and provide the width. Now and at times that has worked well for us. Um, you know when he initially came in, I think we won was it four of the first six sort of playing that way when we had uh, Nakamba playing like a proper sort of hole midfielder in there. And then even the three game run against uh, was it Brighton and Southampton and Leeds that, that we won the road there. Again, Cash got a couple of goals in those games and some assists from playing high. So, yeah, I, I, I think I think there are signs there that that can that you can sort of grab hold of in a positive way that he's done. There's obviously room for improvement, but I at the moment I'm still sort of willing to give him maybe a bit more slack than I would have other managers just purely because I. I, I think it's very easy to be so reactionary uh, as a football fan, and especially with social media as well. Whereas I, I like to think that myself, and to be fair, all of us here on on this podcast are, are quite rational and can sort of take things in context. So, yeah, it's 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 not it's not an easy question to really answer at this stage because I think it would be unfair on Gerard's, but. I think I think there are there are things you can see that there are there are improvements, but there is still work to be done. I think if you're calling us rational, let's just say it's it's a good job they can't see our group chat while the games are going. Let's <laughs> and I, I will leave it at that. Um, 
I mean, we are playing Norwich City this weekend and not Dean Smith FC, so I will make this the last one about him. But something that caught my eye and I know caught others' eyes as well, the banner going around. Project B6 have had this in the works for a long, long time, since he was sacked, actually. Um, but out of respect to Steven Gerrard, um, have decided to wait until this fixture in particular to show our respect for Dean Smith and his time at the club. And just a simple little gesture to almost say thank you for what he did for us, because as we've touched on already, you know, the relationship with the had that he had with the fans is so special that we feel he deserved that. Now, it seems to me, for one, that there's a lot of fans out there who who go by the rule of if they used to play for Villa or used to manage Villa and they end up coming back to Villa Park, no matter who they are, they are not Villa anymore, so they deserve to be booed and they don't deserve a good reception, regardless of their tenure at the club and what happened. Now, Simon, you're shaking your head, so I, I see you feel quite quite strongly about this. Opinions on it, for or against, does it matter? I... <laughs> I don't. I really can't think of any valid, reasonable arguments that people could come up with to be angry or annoyed about this. Like, I really don't get it. I, I remember, funny enough, this is something that so me and my brother have talked about on a few occasions in the past with former players or managers, and whatever. When we first started going, if when a former player came back, unless they'd left, like in really sort of bad circumstances they'd always get like a, a good reception is it seems to be the only I, I think when it shifted was when Gareth Barry first left us and I think fans were were annoyed at the time because we I think we'd finished above Man City and the year before he kind of said he wanted to go to the Champions League now obviously with hindsight Gareth Barry made the absolutely spot on decision to leave us to go to Man City because he won a Premier League title. But I mean, he for a year or two, he got really like bad abuse when he came back. And then ever since then, with the exception of probably Milner, I think every single player who's come, ex players come back at some stage has had some sort of stick from the crowd. And to say, like, you know, it, unless. It's, it's like in really acrimonious circumstances where they're left, where they've, you know, just down tools or refused to train, which I can't really think of many players that have left in those circumstances. I, I don't, I don't really see what's wrong with repaying respects, and it's, it's not like the fans that will be there on Saturday are going to be actively supporting Norwich. Like every single one of us will still want to win that game. I, I just there's. I just I don't understand why why people get so angry about it. If you don't want to stand up and applaud, fair enough, that's your decision. But there's no I, I really I, I cannot understand why why or how you could validly criticize anyone for wanting to show support and appreciation for someone who did do a, a fantastic job, regardless of what some will say. He did a fantastic job at Aston Villa and deserves the respects that that will come his way or will hopefully come his way on Saturday. Yeah, I mean I completely agree. I think you summed that up, you know, better than better than I certainly could if I wasn't hosting anyway. But um for me, Dean Smith's a football manager, right? There'll be a part of him 
in fact, if not all of him, that will come here and go, I'd love to beat Villa today. As much as I as much as I love them, I, I'd love to put one past them. Maybe, maybe for the owners, maybe just for himself. Because it's not like he has a poor record against us. I think those Brentford games still haunt me to this day. Um, but that's not the only reason. Norwich can actually get relegated on Saturday at Villa Park if they fail, if they lose the game and Burnley also beat Watford with the form Burnley are on, that also looks a massive possibility. So it could be that Dean Smith's reunion at Villa Park ends up in him dropping down a division. I mean, Norwich can't really have anyone else to blame. They've relegated themselves in these circumstances. Um, with what has been a disastrous campaign. Um, but something that hasn't really shocked people, let's put it that way. I think if you if you didn't have Norwich to go down at the start of the season, then you were certainly in the minority. And I think that's just the way that the club is run now with the club philosophy being to make sure that they are self-sustainable and they they spend where they can, but not vigorous amounts. And with the standard between the Championship and the Premier League these days, it's only going to result in one thing. And I always wondered whether Norwich were happy bouncing between leagues. I think if we look at the last four campaigns, it was first in the Championship, 20th in the Prem, first in the Championship and 20th in the Prem. If you can ever solidify a team as consistent, I suppose, then that's Norwich. I think we could safely say that they are the 21st best team in the country. Um, but in recent weeks, it seems that the fans have turned. It seems that they finally snapped and understandably as well, because for quite a while now, it seemed as though relegation was inevitable. It was on the cards. They, they're not good enough to compete at this level and they have been turned over just once too many times this season. From a neutral point of view, I've seen that their fans have turned on Stuart Webber in particular, their head of recruitment. They believe that he hasn't done as well as he has done with the resources available. Now, obviously harsh because the resources available to him are limited and I think that's being generous on his part. But there's always got to be a shoulder of responsibility, I suppose, when you're not bringing in near enough the right calibre of players to be able to compete can you understand where the fans are coming from Cole I mean could you get behind an idea that as long as your club is self-sustainable then you'll be happy as a fan because you see so many clubs you know if Everton go down and we'll touch on the relegation battle in more detail later but if Everton go down they're in huge financial woe with so many players on massive contracts and not being able to shed them whereas we look at Norwich and we think, yeah, they could come straight back up next season. They're, they're never going to be in financial trouble with the way that they're going. H how do you view this? Would you would you get frustrated by this as a fan or would you be able to see the bigger picture? Um, I think it goes both ways. I mean, when you look at Villa, I mean, every club wants to be self-sustainable. That's the goal of any well-run club. I think that's the obvious thing I have to say first. Um, I mean, you look at, like we're trying to almost do the same thing, but in a larger scale. So upgrading the academy, bringing in uh, bigger, brighter uh, prospects with more potential, with greater sell-on value, which they'll have a bigger impact in the first team. They're kind of doing it more so 
I don't really see that many um, youth products coming through maybe in the last few years. What maybe was it Ben Godfrey and Cantwell and I think Max Aaron's um, and was there another one? I think that went to Newcastle that's escaping my mind as well. But anyways, um, Jamal Lewis, Jamal Lewis. Thank you very Seems much. Seems like he's completely, he's not even in their registered team anymore. Is he? No, I think he's pretty well fallen off. So, I mean, you look at that, they also kind of go abroad and I think they bought, uh, they bought Emmy Buendia for like what a few million, if that, or whatever it was. And they sold them to us for 30 odd million. That's the level they're at. And I get the frustrations, but I mean, you do hear rumblings. If you kind of look into the Norwich side of things at times where they're questioning the ownership, is it time for Delia Smith to move on and get someone in with a bigger um, uh, checkbook? And I mean, we've been there as Villa fans. We've been there under the learner days and we know what happened when you want more. And sometimes you get people like uh, Tony Gia um, (laughs) who pretend they have money when they don't. Um, So all I can really say there is be careful what you wish for. Um, And I feel like football in a wider sense has definitely since it's become more commercialized, it's everything has been sped up tenfold. And with that, you want instant success and gratification. And that's really how society is now anyways. And you sit back and you look at it and you think of their budget. And I mean, I think the last time they really went for it in the Premier League to stay up, I think was that under, maybe it was under Chris Hutton or Alex Neal or something when he got sacked and they bought like, uh, was it like Stephen Naismith or something like that for 15 odd million from Everton when he was basically on his last legs, probably in his career. And I think there was a few signings that season as well under desperation. And I think from their point of view, they've probably seen where it's went bad. And as much as they want that again, you do have to kind of have a, a side of caution. I mean, it's great to be ambitious, but you don't want to be stupid with your money as well. And as much as there's frustrations with Stuart Weber, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I get what they're saying. Like you don't want to be playing Man City one year and then going to, I don't know, I guess going to Birmingham City the next year and then vice versa. Um, I didn't want to insult any other team. I, I feel okay doing that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I do get it. But at the end of the day, I guess to be kind of short and simple here in a very long rant, um, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, I mean, I suppose all they're really after is some fight. And when your team doesn't look like fighting, then then sometimes you wonder what the point is as a, as a fan. Um, let's move it over to a more Villa perspective, because obviously we have three Villa fans on. So it'd be, it'd be pointless to talk about Norwich in too much detail when we can't offer you cutting edge insight. Um, not that we can do it for Villa most times, but, you know, we try. We try. Um Big news this week with Jacob Ramsey, obviously tying himself down to the club until 2027. I think that's huge news for Villa. You said it yourself. I can't remember which one of you did it. My my brain's going foggy. Uh, that Steven Gerrard massively admires Jacob Ramsey and, you know, the form that he's hit since he, since Steven Gerrard came into the club. I mean, he just looks as though he can reach new heights every single time I, I see him play. And, to think he's so young it's just exciting isn't it Simon I mean it will actually it was you that said it since Gerard came in I mean how how good can Ramsey be in this team I mean who knows I, I mean to be honest I've, I've got to hold my hands up I didn't see this coming from him I mean last season I thought 
thought he was okay, but I, I, I didn't really see, see see anything too special in there. And the the level of performances he's put in this season have, have been excellent, really. I mean, it, I think he's, he's I think he's got six goals this season, which okay, he's, he's not nothing groundbreaking, but for your first sort of full proper season as a regular in a midfield in a sort of mid-table team. It's not bad going. You've still got six games left as well. You know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you could reach double figures or get close to that. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think he's, he, he, he can just get so much better. You, you sort of, if you look at the level of development in one year, he's still, what, only 20 years old, I think? 20, or he certainly can't be older than 21. No, 21. There you go. So, you know, he's, he's got still so much to learn, so much to improve upon. Um, I think he'll probably get stronger as well. I mean, he already looks sort of physically strong, but the more he regularly he plays, the more seasons he gets, the, the, the sort of more robustness he'll get and how powerful he's running the ball. I'm, uh, I was absolutely delighted to see, to see that news yesterday that he signed a new deal and, um, I don't know if any of you saw the interview with his uh, the younger brother Aaron on loan at Cheltenham. He he seems to be coming along quite nicely as well. And I remember a couple of years ago, all the talk sort of in and around the club was that Aaron was uh, even better than Jacob. So if that's the case, we uh, we might have a quite a formidable midfield partnership in the next couple of years at Villa. But um, no, it's, yeah, Jacob Ramsey, I think. He he will only you like to think will get better and better, and the fact that he signs for another five years is again just fantastic news. I mean, yeah, one quote that always sticks out from me from Tom is, I think it was after the Leeds game where he scored twice. Something about Andreas Perlo wouldn't even be able to touch Ramsey in his form at the moment. I mean, it seemed to have shocked everyone when he first burst onto the scene, and. Like you said, to think he's only 21, the heights he can go. There's talks about potential England call-ups and the only reason he didn't get a call-up last time is because he is so integral to the under-21s who were undergoing World Cup qualifiers that they just couldn't risk not having him in that team, which speaks volumes because the England under-21 setup at the moment is absolutely full to the brim of talent. Um Let's move on to some rumours now. Obviously, Ramsey signing this week. Ashley Young has been another one who's been talked about another deal, obviously coming to the end of his career now. If he signed another deal, it would probably mean that he'd see his career out at Villa. Would you like to see that happen, Cole? Has he had as big an impact as you'd like? And would it be beneficial for the club to keep him around? Well, I mean, the left-back position has been a complete mess this season. Um, I think we can all agree to that. And um, it's it's rude to say, but we've probably seen more of them that we probably want to in terms of Luca Digne's injuries and all that kind of stuff that keeps continually happening. Hopefully that's uh, solidified this summer and we can actually see him for majority of next season. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I think my main concern is what that really means. I mean, he can play on the left and he can play on the right as well. So I don't know. Does that mean particularly does Villa look for a, a younger left back to cover uh, Digne or does that mean he, I don't know, Ashley Young maybe goes to the right and that means uh, that uh, Kessler Hayden 
goes out out on loan again because he's not ready. So we'll have to wait and see there. I mean, experience is never a bad thing. And I feel like at times, many Villa fans, including myself, have said we're probably lacking that. And um, it's, I don't know, it's a tough one. I just want to see him at least score one before he does have his time at Villa end. And I've been saying this for a long time. I said this on the last podcast I've been waiting for. And the canvas screamer, and I've been waiting for an Ashley Young screamer as well. So, whenever I see those in my life, I, I think my life's basically complete at that point in time. So, we'll have to wait and see if that ever happens when pigs fly. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned Norwich having a lack of fight. I think you couldn't put Ashley Young in that bracket, which is one thing that's massively surprised me is every time he steps onto the pitch, he looks to be winding up the opposition and he looks to be just frustrating them. Even if the game's not going in our way, he'll make a foul in order to be able to regain our shape and regain possession. And I think he's just a really streetwise player to have. I've always said it is that teams can always do with what I like to call a shithouse player. I think the perfect example is Luke Ayling for Leeds. He's not the best technically on the ball and he's not the best footballer you're ever going to see, but he's critical to have at least in your squad because when he's on the pitch, you know that he's going to be able to win you momentum almost, if that even makes sense at all. Um, Lastly, on, on contract, talks I think it's quite interesting that we haven't seen or heard any rumours about a Douglas Louise contract extension and also a Carney Chukwameka contract extension I think for me if I'm assuming now I reckon that the Carney Chukwameka saga has finally sailed its course I think we were seeing a lot with Gerard that he would be the first substitution to make his way onto the pitch when the rumours were flying about But ever since then, it's almost like he's been put to one side. I think his mind has been made up. Um, And with Douglas Luiz as well, I mean, Villa always like to keep some things under wraps. So it wouldn't surprise me if tomorrow morning we got a Douglas Luiz contract announcement. But to me, it seems like they will both be off in the summer. Um, How does it seem to you, Carl? Um, I mean... Dougie, it kind of seems like his mind's probably been made up. I mean, it for me at all, I mean, I wish we almost had a few more games with Nakamba being able to actually start maybe even a string of five. Maybe that could actually happen, but I feel like he probably won't start for at least another week or two by the looks of it. Um, because I feel like if you put Dougie in his proper spot, I mean, I always think back to that City game earlier in the season and he was one of the best players on the pitch by far he ran the midfield and I mean yeah we lost 2-1 but he was fantastic and um, I I just feel like it's kind of a great shame because for most of his Villa career he's been basically playing out of position or with personnel around him that unfortunately probably haven't been up to scratch to really support his talents and albeit he's only what still 23 we bought him when he was or the club bought him I should say when he was what 20 so it's a lot of growth and development for him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And I mean, with Carney, I, I kind of feel like, I don't know. I, I mean, everyone's kind of made it into an issue. Maybe it isn't even an issue and nothing will happen. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, you do sit back and you look at it and think like, I mean, if you're going to be that eager and maybe even slightly arrogant, I guess you could have to say to think, you know what, I could play for the top club in the world. That confidence is great to have, but 
there's also reality too. So, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but uh, Simon, how do you feel about it? I think with the Dougie one, the fact that he's, he's going to be what we've uh, only have one year left on his contract this summer. I think for someone who's a first team regular, when you get to that stage, it's probably unlikely that they're going to sign a new one. I, I think it's one that he'll go to a decent club will play sort of as a number eight where he should play. And I think, I've just got a feeling that in the year or two, we'll be looking back thinking, what on earth were we doing playing him as a whole midfielder? So I think he's a really, really talented footballer who, like you say, has been unfortunate that he's had to spend so long of his career playing in a position that doesn't really suit him. Like If you think back to the sort of first half of last season, where he was excellent, but in my mind, back he wasn't playing as like a as like a proper holding midfielder. We were, it was more of like a four-two-three-one. We had so he had him again, and then Barkley was playing well at that stage in those sort of first what six seven weeks that he had before he got the injury, and you had Greenish as well. So yeah, you had the midfield that that worked together. It, it was a proper like system with people in the right position and I think that's where you saw the best of the reasons I agree if you if, you, if somehow you could go the next five six games with even the Campbell or even Tim Iribunum as a holding midfielder and let Louise have a run of games in those number eight then you probably see more of the talent that he has but as I said I think it's reached the stage where he's probably going to go in the summer with Carney I really don't know what's going to happen with that one. I really do think it's still quite 50-50. So I think I remember, I think when a few weeks ago, when the decision was made to have five substitutions for next season, I'm sure I saw Gerard say something about how beneficial that would be for people like Carney, like Iribunum, that it gives you more scope to put put them on the pitch. And like I, I get that. You kind of, you, you sort of think, Maybe he could have been given more opportunities this season, but it's Gerard's still trying to work out which of these sort of more established first team players he's going to want to keep this summer and stick around for next season. So you kind of, I can see from his point of view why he wouldn't waste an opportunity to see a more established player for 15, 20 minutes of the game to, uh, to Chuck Carnan just to try and make him sign a new deal. But with the five subs next year, that might be something that it, it just depends how persuasive they can be to try to make it to convince him that he will get some game time. And it's it's a weird one with him because I can see it from both the club's point of view and from his point of view about, you know, or why should I sign a deal if you're not going to play me or well, why should we give you a deal? <laughs> you, know, you know, why do we have to play you to get you to sign a deal? So... It's, yeah, it's, I, I think that's a real 50-50 one. But I'd like to think, because he's still only, so he's still only, what, 18? Maybe you just recently turned 19. He's still young. Um, so if the club can persuade him, he's someone that I'd love to see stay. But regardless of whether he signs a new deal or, or not, I don't think that we would look to sell him this summer, even if he wasn't going to sign a new deal. I still think they'd keep him around because he's young enough that if he did go on out on the free, we would still get a decent fee from a tribunal setting. So I, I think he'll still be around next year, but it's whether he's fully signed up for the long term or not remains to be seen. 
I mean, sticking with you briefly, Simon, I wasn't actually going to mention this until I saw something going around on social media about it earlier. But I saw that Ashley Priest was mentioning the left back spot, like we said, that's been so difficult for us. And that he was almost convinced that Ben Christine, our youngster left back, would get at least a shot at starting a game before the end of the season. Now, to me, bottom of the table, a team that we've mentioned that lacks fight at home in front of a home crowd, you'd have thought that would be the perfect chance to give him that opportunity, wouldn't you? You'd assume so, yeah. And like similar with Iribunum, you know, we've mentioned earlier, if there was ever there's ever a game that you're going to try and start one of these youngsters, you think surely Norwich at home. I mean, you could make the argument as well, Crystal Palace at home, by the time that rolls around, that's going to be a real nothing game with neither team having having anything to play for. So there's there's opportunities. And yeah, Ben Christine is he's, he's one that obviously was he's very highly thought of, isn't he? But he kind of hasn't hasn't been much talk about him getting any game time up until the last sort of week or two since Dinya had his injury and you knew that he'd be out for the season. So yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah I'd, 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 I mean, obviously, you always want to see sort of the good youngsters be given a shot. And I'd like to think that that he'd be given, given at least an opportunity at some stage before the end of the season. Now, with Villa's season almost petering out into into nothingness, really, I'm I'm trying to find some exciting talking points from nowhere, really. And the best that I could come up with from a Villa point of view is that we still have a massive say in the relegation battle this season and it's nice to be able to have a say in the relegation battle knowing that Aston Villa's name isn't going to be in that relegation battle um, I think it's between Leeds Everton and Burnley for that final spot I can't see Watford getting out and I can't see Norwich getting out um, Leeds have got some very difficult games coming up as have Everton Burnley unbelievably since sacking Dyche seemed to have found some form with Ben Mee as their caretaker manager and Michael Schumacher. Was it Michael Schumacher, their care, their other caretaker? I think it is. Um, I mean, if I, I'm sure I'll be corrected if I've got that wrong. But since they've brought their caretaker staff in, they seem to have hit a run of form and they've actually been nominated or should be nominated for Player of the Month coming up, which is incredible for a team sat one place above the relegation zone. They probably look the favourites to get out of it now. If if you could choose three teams to go down from obviously Watford and Norwich, who would be your third team to go down, Cole? Um, it's tricky. I was just looking at the run-in for Leeds, Everton, um, in particular, um, I mean, Leeds are in a very good run in. Um, I think they have like what Chelsea and Arsenal still to play, maybe City as well. I think um, I could be wrong there, but I know it's at least two of those three. And then I think their last two games are Brighton and Brentford. So, I mean, both clubs will have nothing to play for at that point um, in time either. You would think Um I probably think they're okay on 34 points. They probably need one more win and they're fine. Um, you look at Burnley. I mean, they, they still have us twice. I would not be shocked if we draw at least one of those. Um, I think honestly, they're going to get out of it. I think it's going to be Everton. That's going to be the one that's in major trouble. Um, they're running. I think just as bad as Leeds is, if not worse, and they can't score goals and they're conceding them. They looked a little bit better against Liverpool last weekend, but um 
yeah, I'd have to say Everton, unfortunately. And yes, Villa are safe. Um, I know Pete Villa fans have been discussing this for the last week or two, but let's be realistic. We're not in this fight. I think something catastrophic would have to happen. And I, I can see us at least picking up another three or four points for the rest of the season. So we're fine. It's a little bit uninspiring, but at the end of the day, we're still in this league. I, I personally think that Burnley will be fine. Um, I think just because they're so used to this, like this is Burnley's bread and butter. They, even though they've had a change of manager, but that squad of players, they know how to survive a relegation battle, and they've sort of seem to have hit a bit of momentum at just the right time. So for me, I think it's between Everton and Leeds. I think it'll be one of them two. Leeds, they their next three fixtures are horrific. It's City, Chelsea, and Arsenal are the next three, and. They've got an, an awful goal difference compared to the other two teams as well. So I think there might be five points out of Everton, I think. But the goal difference, I think they've conceded that it's like double the amount of, of what Everton's and Burnley's is. So that could play a major part. And, you know, they lost 7 0 to Man City earlier on in the season. <clears throat> it wouldn't surprise me if, if they got a couple of batterings in their next couple of games as well. So I think they're in real trouble. They may just have enough just because Everton, it's really difficult to see them picking up points. I mean, you mentioned, and I've heard a few people say, oh, you know, they show real fight and heart against Liverpool, which, okay, to an extent they did, but they can't play like that against every other team. And if they they set up and play like that against every other game, they're not going to win the game because they didn't get out of their own penalty box. So, it's all well and good sticking 10 men, 11 men behind the ball and being organised. But Everton's problem has been when they have tried to go at teams, they're so chaotic and disorganised at the back that I just... I I think they'll go. And I, I, think, I think if they'd appointed any other competent manager other than Frank Lampard, I think they would have been okay because there are some decent players in there. But... You appoint a manager who has a track record of not being able to set up a defence, not being able to set up a team to defend set pieces, and will consistently criticise his players and throw them under the bus after every hammering. It's never his fault. It's not a good mixture, and there's it's not not just on the pitch, but off the pitch. There's just something rotten at that club. At least with Burnley and Leeds you get the sense that there's still, there's like a connection, at least with the players and the fan base at both those clubs. Like they're right behind them. Whereas Everton, it's such a toxic atmosphere. And they've, I think they've lost 10 away games in a row now. So, the, you know, they're at the stage where a draw away from home is not good enough for them. They have to get wins and they just, they don't look like they're capable of stringing a couple of wins together. And I think they've, and they finish away at Arsenal. If they're not already down by that last game, that's a hell of a place to go for them and try and get a result. So, I personally, I'd, I quite lo- I'd like Leeds to go down because I mean they're just annoying and uh, you know we've yeah we've enjoyed their two years stay in the Premier League. Blah blah blah. They play lovely football, aren't they? Great fun to watch. But no, I've had enough of them. Like get rid of them. But I, I think Everton might go. I mean, yeah, I'm gonna make it a hat trick. I I also think Everton will go down this season and. I'm not even going to ask this to you because I think it's a straightforward answer with some of the rumours going around. Everton are not the biggest club to get relegated. Villa and Newcastle are 
are levels ahead. I'd even put Sunderland on a leveling, level playing field to, to Everton. And I also don't think Everton will come straight back up because the financial ramifications that it will have on that club with the wages that some of their players are on is just astronomical. So, yeah, I think they're in real deep trouble at the moment. Um, let's let's look to wrap it up with the score prediction because I can see Cole yawning and Simon's starting to have steam coming from his ears just talking about Leeds, so he needs to go to bed as well before he gets himself worked up. Um, let's look forward to the game, obviously, this weekend. Simon's mentioned that he's very confident for the game, so I'll start with you, Cole. Score prediction? Um Let's go back to the 1920 season where we spanked them. Like, what was it? 5-1 away from home. I'm going to go 5-1. I think we're going to concede one, but I just, I I don't know. At some point, I just feel like there is due another Southampton result where these goals just come from out of nowhere. Um, Yeah, hopefully it's not a a one-all and we've had like 30 great chances to score. But anyways, I'm going to go 5-1 and be way too overconfident because it's probably not going to happen. But anyways. I'm going to be extremely overconfident as well. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm not there. My niece, who's been to, I think, three better games in her whole life, and we've battered every team when she's been there. She's convinced she's a lucky charm. So I'm hoping that sticks. And uh, yeah, I'm going to go 5 0 Villa. <laughs> Why not? I mean, we've had two score predictions and we've got 10 goals predicted for Villa. And for a team that hasn't scored in four games from open play, I think I, I should probably take us off cloud nine slightly. And I, I will just go for the subtle two. I do think that we will win this weekend and that will put us up to about 12th, 13th place in the league. And any worries about us going down from anyone online um, and be able to look forward to next season. Um, just before we wrap it up, obviously, Cole, you'll know about this because you edit it. Simon, you probably never listen to the Holtcast unless you're on it. So you'll have no idea what I'm on about. Um, we always ask a non-football related question. Normally, obviously, we have an opposition fan on, uh, so he gets to answer from the week before. But there's two of you this time, so I'll be asking you both individually. We had a Tottenham Hotspur fan on last time, and his question to you two, and I'll start off with Simon, because, Cole, you've probably already heard it from editing. Simon, I'm going to throw you under the bus here. <laughs> What's the most extreme emotion you have ever felt? Oh God! Um, to link, all right. To link back to what we were talking about earlier, literally that playoff final, full time uh, when we beat Derby. Honestly, and I, I mean, this is going to sound sad to a lot of people, but bear in mind, I'm single, no children, I'm not married. I can't remember being happier than, than any specific moment than that full time. And there's a. Uh, there's some photos that my dad's took of me, my brother and my mates at full time. I'll, I'll, I'll send them on to you in the, in the group later and you'll know what I mean. The, the look of pure joy. I, it's been, I don't remember ever having that, just that moment of pure, pure happiness and joy. So probably that was the most extreme. I mean, especially because it's a football match. Like, it shouldn't be getting me that emotional, but it really did. So, I'd probably say, yeah, full-time when we beat Derby. Cole, if he sends that to the group, can we, when we put our post out on Twitter for the podcast, can that photo be the background, please, for the podcast when we promote it? Well, we can do it that way or we can do a collage. I'll let you be the artist (laughs) on this decision. Um, But I guess for my biggest 
Oh God. I mean, if my girlfriend's listening to this, I love you. Um, so I guess I, I'd have to say her. <laughs> she won't be. Don't worry. She, she, she won't be she won't not be. this far, especially no. Uh very supportive, but no way. Um, I don't know. I think maybe back to when I got my first car, maybe, but I guess from a villa standpoint, the low of going down, and I remember I've always been interested in um the football league as well. And I like following that on the side a little bit. It's a kind of an interesting little side hobby, I guess, in regards to that. Cause let's be honest, the Premier League can get a little stale at times. Um, so I remember there was a Sky Sports podcast they would do covering all those leagues. And I think it was when it became official that Villa went down, that was how they kind of opened the podcast. And I remember sitting at a at a bus stop. This is getting so sad. Um and I just remember them saying that now it was like seven o'clock in the morning. And I just thought, wow, like this is absolute crap. And I felt like it was just a depressing day from that. And like Simon said, the, the promotion, taking the day off of work, um, girlfriend had to work uh, a night shift. So we went out for an early, early breakfast and then came back and she basically slept throughout the second half. And I had to silently celebrate in the living room by myself, but, uh, um, I think it's just the highs and lows of Villa are probably the best thing. And um, uh, hopefully I can answer that one day actually being over there. I will guarantee I will cry when I enter that stadium one day. I guarantee it. But uh, anyways, I'll shut up there. Seb, you take it away if you want to. I think it says a lot about us three football nerds. We're sad men. That's what we are. (laughs) That we've managed to turn the one non-football related question of the podcast into football in general as our as our biggest meaning of life but um yeah Simon I'll I'll throw this one to you to finish off then we've got to obviously pass the question forward I don't know if it makes any difference but it's Burnley coming up next so hit me with your best shot it doesn't have to be as deep either okay so it's literally just a a question about absolutely anything any non-football related question okay what is your most embarrassing story of trying to chat someone up that's brilliant i'd say that's probably the best one we've had so far i hope it was a blackburn rovers fan too (laughs) (laughs) that i mean i had an outro planned but that is probably the best way that we can possibly end this podcast uh cole simon thank you for for joining me for this one obviously it's quite nice to host to to you guys instead of having to listen to someone else rant about how they're probably going to absolutely hammer villa this weekend uh if you haven't already check out 7500 to halt on twitter which is 7500 to halt and also check out cole and simon while you're there make sure to give us any ratings if possible and let us know what you think of the podcast and up the villa Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.